welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Everybody likes receiving compliments. Anybody here hate compliments? <laughs> Sometimes that compliment calls us out, doesn't it? Kind of puts us in the center of the light, but down deep inside, we like to be appreciated. We like praise when we do a job well done. We like to be recognized for, for the goodness that we do. One morning, Marion Gibbard opened her door, and she was surprised when she looked on the front porch. Sitting there on her front porch was a small dog she had never seen before. And this dog had in its mouth her morning paper. Delighted by the service of this new delivery dog, she gave the young dog a treat. The next morning, she opened the front door and she was horrified to see the same dog sitting on her front porch, his tail wagging. But instead of her newspaper, he had eight newspapers. <laughs> so she spent the rest of the morning re-delivering all of her neighbors' newspapers. Everybody loves a compliment. And whatever we compliment, whatever we praise, we legitimize. We give it authority. It was Mark Twain that said, one compliment can keep me going for quite a while. One compliment can keep me going for quite a while. Today we're going to talk and explore the power of praise but we're going to look at it within the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> we'll begin at verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil... And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city, and sitteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into exceeding high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt serve the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered, Unto him. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in respect and reverence of the word of God this morning. <clears throat> the devil is a sly old fox. 
I could catch him, I'd put him in a box. I'd lock that box and throw away the key for all the dirty tricks he played on me. You remember those, song, those lyrics from a song we used to sing in Sunday school? He's a sly old fox. He tries to trick us. He tries to connive and tempt us. He wants his temptations to be so alluring that we fall for them. And then he comes with his mission statement. Steal, kill, and destroy. I'm not a huge fan of preaching about Satan because I don't like preaching about losers. But let me talk about him for just a minute. Satan is an already defeated enemy. His future has already been determined. Have you read the back of the book yet? It's already been settled. It's already been laid out what his future is. His power and his authority are limited. When you read this story that we read today, you, you see the temptation of Christ. The writers of the of the, the story we're, we're trying to portray to us power and authority that Satan was trying to allure Christ with. This is why you can't take Scripture on its own. You have to look at Scripture in the context of the Bible. This wasn't because Satan was almighty and all-powerful and had all these kingdoms to offer him. These are the things that God, whom he was tempting, had given him authority to rule over. Satan will take whatever you give to him and he will make it seem bigger than it is. He's a ruler. Give him an inch, he'll take 12 inches. He keeps doing a good job of being a devil. He's a, he does a good job of being a devil. Satan knows his lies lack any authority. He realizes that he's already been delegitimized in his future. He has no authority. He has no power. And we should not be ignorant of his devices, nor should we be ignorant of his soon coming demise. Yet, despite us knowing the back of the book and him knowing his eternal future, he still tries to cause influence in our lives. He still tries to cause us to fall victim to his false authority or his false legitimacy. This is what Satan was trying to do. If you could get Christ to surrender to your temptation, then the feigned authority and the fake authority and power that you're presenting then becomes legitimized. He was trying to grab more legitimacy. He was trying to make himself matter when we already know he doesn't matter. He was trying to create a narrative and a storyline that he had real power and real authority. Jesus wasn't the first time that Satan thought he could use temptation to legitimize himself. 
Job. He thought he could tempt Job. Job so much to the point that Job would give up on the power of God and succumb to the temptations of Satan. And man, did he work over Job. Took all of his possessions. Took all of his children. Took all of his wealth. Took his reputation. I mean, Job's friends, and I guess that's a friendly way of saying it, showed up at his house to comfort him. And the greatest words of comfort they have are, so Job, what's the hidden sin in your life so that God would cause all this to happen to you? With friends like that, who needs enemies? Job's wife even got to the point, she's like, Job, it's terrible. You've even lost your health. You're sitting here in a pile of ashes with a, with, a, with a broken piece of pottery just scraping the boils on your skin. You're miserable, man. Just curse God and die already. But Job said, no, 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 no. If I give in, if I release my belief in God, I legitimize Satan. You know, Job wasn't the first. Jesus wasn't the last. Because Satan still tries to create legitimacy in each one of our lives. Every day he comes to us and he'll bring a temptation or, or in those moments or those seasons of our lives where, where we're weak or we're stressed or, or where turmoil is going or where chaos is happening, he'll bring up something from the past and he'll try to shame us or he'll bring up something of indignation against us and he'll try to cause us to falter and fall. He may not have very much authority, but he's a good note taker. He'll show up, flip out his little iPad. You remember back in 1973, and it looks like it was November, about 4 o'clock on the 7th, you were thinking about, remember when you were thinking about all that? Remember all that? You can't really be a child of God. A child of God don't think about stuff like that. You remember last week on the job when you were working and, and you remember so-and-so, they got you really frustrated. You remember how you reacted to that? You know, real disciples don't act like that. He brings these temptations and he wants us to buy into it. Because if I say, you're right, real disciples don't act like that, I must not be a real disciple. You just gave him legitimacy. He tries, he works on us, he does all that he can to create legitimacy in our lives. The intention of, of this message today is to help you and to help myself and, and help somebody here get beyond whatever it is that you've been struggling with. And how you get past it is through praise. Because what you praise is what you legitimize. What you praise is what you grant authority in your life. Here's how you defeat Satan. The same way Christ defeated him in his temptation. First is through the word. 
What was the, Jesus Christ's first response to the first temptation? For it is written. What a powerful statement. Every promise in this book is mine. If I'll live for God and I'll serve Him, if I'll be obedient to the gospel and I'll live a life in relationship with Jesus Christ, every promise in this book is mine. Every victory is mine. Every overcoming power is mine. Every strength is mine. Every blessing is mine. And so it's by the power of the Word of God that we can then resist the devil and he flees from us. Can I encourage you today? You ought to be in the Word and the Word ought to be in you. We ought to be in the Word and the Word ought to be in us. There shouldn't go a day that we're not studying the Word of God. Lord, pour something into my heart today. That's going to give me strength. Lord, pour something into my spirit today from your word. That's going to give me guidance. That's going to lead me. Psalms 119 and 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Do you know the number one best-selling book ever? The Bible. Feel Sunday school songs in my heart today. I don't know why. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I'm standing on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Learn how to spell in Sunday school. The Bible. The word of God. This isn't not just, this is not just some author's rendition of, of fictitious stories. Many authors over many decades across multiple continents wrote the words of this scripture and they all intertwine together because it's not just writings, it is the word of God. They were moved on by the Holy Spirit. This is the literal word of God spoken to us today. The first thing Satan will do is try to tear down the word of God in your life. And the devil, he's a sly old fox. He's not going to walk up to you and say, hey, Bob, the Bible's a lie. Because what would you say to him? No, it's not. End of story. But he'll do like he did to Eve. Does it really say that? Well, no, I haven't read it lately. I don't know if it really says that or not. Did God really say Putting this on a sticky note, put it on your refrigerator. The devil's most powerful weapon is a question. Did you really quit? Yeah, I quit. My addiction hasn't had a hold on me in years, but did you really quit? Yeah, I quit. That's what the enemy will do. He'll walk up to you. Did you really take on a, a new name and a new, a new life in Christ? Or are you just faking it? 
No, I took on a new name and a new life in Christ. I've been buried in the name of Jesus Christ. His blood has washed away the old man and all things have become new. Get thee behind me, Satan. The Bible says I am a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are made new. Use the word of God to your advantage. Satan continues to tempt Christ. Jesus says in verse 7, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I want you to grab those words, those two words. Thy God. Satan continues to tempt again. And then verse 10, Jesus says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Now, oftentimes when we read Scripture, we we read Scripture in the context that it's speaking to us, which is appropriate. Because it's the living word. Let's look at it from a studious standpoint today, from an academic standpoint. Christ was speaking to somebody very specific in these two passages. He was speaking to his tempter. He was speaking to Satan. And he said to Satan, you're not supposed to tempt me. You're God. He said, you are supposed to worship me. You're God. Christ said, I will not legitimize your temptation. I will not release my authority to you. Because you're trying to to be sly. You're trying to weasel your way in here. You're trying to take over some authority in my life. I'll not give it to you. I'm going to stand my ground and tell you, no, I'm your Lord and I'm your God. I'm your Lord and I'm your God that you must worship. You can't tempt me. You can't come against me. And I want to tell you today, it's the same in the life of us believers and disciples of Christ. Whatever you allow to be worshipped in your life is what you empower in your life. Whatever you praise is what you empower in your life. If you're always glamorizing a past of sin, no wonder you're still struggling. Whatever you praise is what you legitimize. If you're always glamorizing Hollywood, then no wonder you have an addiction to Hollywood. If you're always glamorizing the world and its things and all the vices of this world, no wonder those are the things that struggle and come against you in your life because you are praising those things. You are speaking authority into those things. I want to tell you today, I've cut the tide to my past. I've let go of it. I've been across the water. There's no trail for it to follow me. I've been set free. I've been liberated. Is there anybody here today? Either you're really struggling or I'm dead or you're not hearing me. I've been set free. I don't have the same past. I don't have the same addictions I've had. I don't have the same burdens in my life I've had. I don't have the same stress I've had in my past. I can freely worship God. I can freely lift my hands with a clean conscience before my Lord and Savior today. I don't have to be afraid 
I can leap for joy just like the Bible says because there's no more shackles on my feet. I can lift my hands because he no longer has me bound. Paul and Silas, I just skipped two pages of notes. Hold on, I'll get back to you. Paul and Silas are sitting in a prison cell. They're just doing the work of God. They're just walking down the street, helping people be saved, make it to heaven. This girl walks up behind them. She said the right thing, but she had the wrong spirit. It's another message for another time. These are the men of the Most High God. These are the men of the Most High. She was mocking them. And Paul, he seemed to be a fairly patient and temperate individual when you study him out in Scripture. But something just wasn't right that day with this girl. And his last nerve done got stepped on. He turns around and says, I rebuke that evil spirit of mockery out of you. And she is delivered instantly from the demons that possess her life. And you would think everybody would rejoice. Not her slave owners. Not the ones that would use her and her spirits of divination to foretell the future and help them make money. And when word got back to them that their magic trophy, their genie in the bottle was no longer working, they became very aggravated, frustrated, angry. This is why Paul and Silas were arrested, whipped, thrown into the inner prison. I don't know what time it was when they got thrown in the prison. I'm not sure how long they sat in prison. It seems in scripture that the laws of justice moved quite swiftly among the Romans. They didn't linger long. So I'm assuming that once the word got back, it was a fairly short sentencing and a short trial and a short judgment before they were deep inside the prison locked up. Maybe even sunlight hadn't even set yet. What happened to Paul and Silas between lockup and midnight? What were they thinking about? Yeah, I'm just trying to do the work of the Lord, Silas. Sorry I drug you into this mess. I know, Paul. If I'd have stayed home, I'd be with my wife and kids right now. Remember, Silas, this is the good work. This is the blessing of the Lord. Doing the work for God. Don't make me move so much, that hurts. Who knows what their conversation was, but, but something began to wail up inside of them in the midst of the pity, in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the despair. The physical pain and the agony that they were going through. Something began to well up inside of them. And they said, you know what? We could sit here and talk about how bad it is until the sun comes up in the morning. We could sit here and bemoan all of our problems. 
And you know what, Paul? Our problems will still be here in the morning. You're right, Silas. Let's just pray about it. Let's just pray about it. And they begin to pray. And somewhere in the midst of their prayer meeting, they say, hey, you remember that old course? I don't know if they had courses back then. Remember that old hymn, Silas? I think it was page 35. I got it. Yeah, I remember page 35. They began to sing that old song. Lord, two guys, tired, wore out, whipped, beaten, probably not singing in tune. Probably wasn't a beautiful noise unto the Lord. But as they're grunting and groaning and cranking out some tunes, they feel a little anointing begin to flow on them. They feel a little bit of the presence of God begin to move on them. And they, they automatically tap in and realize, I'm beginning to praise the King. I'm beginning to praise the Lord of Lords. I am now releasing to Him the authority to work in my life. And as they began to pray and sing praises, the Bible says that God shook the entire prison. Shook the entire prison. It says their stocks and their bonds fell off of them. And everybody else who was in the prison. And the gate fell open. If you're bound today by something, you've got some chains on your arms. You've got some shackles on your feet. I want to tell you today, don't sit there and bemoan the darkness. Don't sit there and bemoan the problems. Don't stress over the past. Won't you just lift your hands, lift your voice, and begin to give a praise to the one who has freed you, the one who can deliver you, the one who can set you free. Why don't you give God some authority in your life? Because what we praise is what we legitimize. What we praise is what we allow to rule in our lives. What we praise is what we empower to work in our lives. So I have to ask you the question today. Are you praising the King of Kings? Is your life a perpetual song to the Lord of Lords? Are you perpetually always singing day in and day out? Maybe in your heart. Paul told him in Corinthians, sing songs and hymns to the Lord. We should have a song in our heart every day. Are you praising the King of Kings? Are you praising the pity? Are you praising the Lord of Lords? Are you praising the despair and the hurt? Are you looking at the past and all that it has done to you and how of all you've been wronged and how all the, the hurt and, and all of the stuff that's happened in the past is the chaos overtaking you? Let me tell you today, don't let the darkness overtake you. Stand up. Raise your arms towards heaven. Lift up your voice. If I could use the Bible phrase, shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 22 and 23. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hands. 
So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. What a crazy story. I can't tell you the whole story of David. David's a fun story to preach. You're familiar, right? We're not all novices here. David's anointed king. Just a young lad. Estimated between the ages of 14 and 16. He's out in the field. Gets called in. Last one. Anointed king. Prophet leaves. His brothers go back to work. Jesse's like, the sheep? The field? They're still out there. So he's back in the field with anointing oil dripping off of him. Anointed to be king of Israel. Word gets around. Have you heard this guy named David? You heard him play that harp? It is so beautiful, the songs that he plays on that harp. The words, the way he intricately puts words together in music. He's, he's a musician, man. You, he's going to grow up to be somebody. King Saul, on the other side of life's mountain, disobeying God, not fulfilling his call as the king, gets rejected by God. And in God's rejection is covered by an evil spirit. And troubled by evil spirit. And somehow Saul hears of David. And sends to Jesse and says, hey, let David come and play his harp for me. And they learn that through this exchange of David's harp playing and songs and lyrics of praise to God, the evil spirit that troubles Saul would be silenced and Saul would be refreshed and the evil spirit would leave him alone. And so Saul became dependent on David. Saul's turmoil was dependent on David. Saul's peace of mind, rather, was dependent on David. Without David, Saul was tormented. The anointing on David's life, the wholesome music of his harp, is the only thing that would bring relief to a tormented soul. I want to tell you today, your praise has the power over every enemy of your soul. When you begin to praise God, Satan loses his authority in your life as you're praising God. You can walk into the darkest of places the darkest of situations, the darkest of circumstances, and just begin to praise God, and your own little shaft of light will begin to shine. But what I gather in this story is maybe even deeper than just our own victory. Your praise is the praise that will help your troubled brother and sister in the midst of their battle. You pushing beyond changes the atmosphere of where you're at. Let me tell you how people have victory at Life Spring Church when you and I praise God. Well, I thought God's going to bring them. God does the victory. 
But we create the atmosphere. We create the setting. We build the, the foundation and the platform for God to work. Where we, where we are praising God, we are giving Him authority to work. This is why we structure our services the way we do. This is why we have praise and worship before the preaching and before the altar call. Because we want to build a platform. We want to build an environment. We want to create a place where God can freely move and work among us. But I thought we were saved by the hearing of the word. We are saved by the hearing of the word. But praise helps our faith be built up so that we can then receive the word. Individuals that come to church and choose not to praise, but they just want to hear the word, oftentimes leave saying things like, well, that church don't feed me. Well, that's because you showed up With no fork or knife. You can't eat until you're ready to eat. The word of God is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. I would be a foolish pastor to get up here and begin to proclaim the word to people who haven't praised. The word cuts those who aren't ready to receive it. Some people say, well, the word of God was abusive. It, it injured me. It hurt me. But if you'd have been pliable in the hands of God, it would have cut out of you. It would have pruned you. It would have perfected you and me. Praise matters. Your praise helps your brother and sister have victory. You know somebody at our church that's struggling and going through a struggle and a battle right now? Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Just praise God. Well, my life's going pretty good right now. Perfect. Then you ain't got nothing to fight over. You praise God with extra energy today. You praise God with everything that's within you today. You give 110% because they're, they're not feeling it today. They're, they're in the midst of a battle. They're in the midst of a war. Your praise can bring them victory. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. We're talking about Jesus. And behold, there came a leper. And worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. What a powerful, powerful declaration of faith. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. That was it. And... Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. <laughs> the immediate healing power of God. Let's go back to verse 
2 on the screen. And behold, there came a leper. Don't skip those next two words or three words. And worshipped him. He didn't make his request at first seeing Jesus. I've been guilty. I'll be honest. I've been guilty. I've been guilty of running into the presence of God. Hey, Lord, here's my list of stuff I need you to work on this, eh? Lord, I need you to help me with so-and-so. They got a bad attitude at work. Lord, I need you to help me with such and such. I just don't know how that's going to work out. I need this, Lord, and I need that, Lord. And if you can just add this one to the list, it would be great. Thanks. In Jesus' name, right. In Jesus' name, amen. Got to go. <laughs> that was good. He didn't walk up to him, run up to him. Yes, he's a leper. Limp up to him. Lord, if you can, you can heal me. The Bible says he worshipped first, which means he bowed his knee. He fell before him. He began to praise and worship him. He began to recognize him for who he was first. He gave him authority in his life first. You got something in your life today that you want Jesus to take care of? He'll take care of it today. He'll send deliverance today. He'll send healing today. He can save your soul today if you're lost. But before we come to the altar and make our petition known to God or we make our request to God, could we first find that place in our heart and our spirit, uh, even in our body, uh, where we would worship Him and we would honor Him and we would give Him the authority to work in our lives. Our praise should be honest. Our praise is not a tool used to manipulate God because God is not manipulated. God knows our praise, for He does not look at how high your hand is raised or how loud your shout is. God does not look at how strong your dance is or how violent your worship is. God realizes we are demonstrative in worship, but that demonstrative worship does not motivate God or manipulate God. God moves. When we have heartfelt praise. Outside of heartfelt praise is selfish praise. What is selfish praise? Selfish praise is bless me praise. Bless me praise. Well, I'm going to praise God today because I need a blessing. How about we praise God because he's God? I'm going to praise God today because I messed up this week and I need a little bit more grace and forgiveness. Let me tell you, whether I praise God or not doesn't change how powerful the blood is. His blood's just as powerful whether you praise Him or not. Now, if how effective it is in your life or not may depend on how you praise Him. But I'm going to praise Him with everything that I have. Bless me, praise is hollow and empty. Bless me praise is heartless praise. It's passionless praise. It's nothing more than religious practice. Maybe you've been places where praise is religious practice. 
It's like the beginning of service. One, two, three, go! The place blows up. You're like, hold on a second. I know of a church somewhere on planet Earth that the guys wear tennis shoes to church because... Run! It's like... They're sincere. Heartless praise. What I want to teach you and train you and, and lead you to understand today is it's not so much in how fast you run or how high you leap. It's not so much how, in, how big your praise is. And I think we should have big praise because we serve a big God and he's done big things. But it has to come from the heart. It has to be a praise that's full of faith. It has to be a praise that has passion involved in it. It has to be selfless praise. It has to be praise that surrenders me to Him. It has to be praise that subordinates my will to His will. It has to be praise where I surrender my all to Him. And I say, Lord, You have authority in my life to do whatever You need to do. And if God chooses, like the leper, to instantaneously heal you, you can keep praising Him. If God chooses to put you on a journey of healing and recovery every single day, you can praise Him. Or if God chooses to use the situation to bring you home to heaven, it doesn't matter, you'll still praise Him. Because the praise isn't about me, the praise is about Him. That's when you grant Him authority to work in your life. God must have free course in our lives. He must have free course to work in our lives. He must have free course to move in our lives. And to do what only He can do. Amen? The power of praise is more than just illustrated to us in the history of the apostles and the disciples. It's more than just illustrated to us in the Bible. God has not changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What God did for Peter, James, and John, He can still do for you and I. What happened on the day of Pentecost, can still happen at LifeSpring Church in 2023. What happened with healings in the book of Acts can still happen today among us. Signs, wonders, and miracles are still for the church today. We still live in the dispensation that the early church lived in. So if you need a healing today, you can be healed. If you need salvation today, all you have to do is be obedient to the gospel of Christ and you can be saved. What is the gospel? It's very simple. Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and rose again. This is the gospel of Christ. For if he would have just died... We would never have the opportunity for new life. And if he would have just been buried and never rose again, then death would have won. 
so we don't have to just stop at one of the steps or one of the ingredients to salvation, but we can have all of them and be fulfilled in what Christ calls us to be. No, you don't have to go hang yourself on a cross, but you can just come to an altar and you can repent of your sins. Repentance is two parts. Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner. I want you to become the Lord of my life. Rather than the darkness and the vices and the addictions and the troubles and the struggles all ruling in my life, I want to relinquish all of that and I want to give you the authority and power to rule in my life. That's the first part, forgiveness. The second part is a commitment. It's a commitment that says, Lord, I'm going to walk away from the darkness. I'm going to change the direction I'm walking in life and I'm going to begin walking towards you. Every single person that Christ did something for, he sent them in a new direction. Four men let their friend down through the roof. What a crazy story. Jesus is like, man, the Pharisees ain't going to like what's about to happen. He says, thy sins be forgiven thee. The Pharisees. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Take up thy bed and walk. Jesus could have said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Hoist him back up, boys. No, no. Jesus said, You came down through the roof, but you're going to walk out the front door. You come to leave a different way. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a popular Christmas message you can preach. The three wise men showed up. You read the story in Luke, when the three wise men left, it says they left a different way than they came. Because when you encounter Jesus, you leave in a different way than you showed up. Paul and Silas left prison different than they showed up. They walked through a gate that hung on the doors and worked appropriately. <laughs> How about you just walk out of your prison and when you walk past a broken gate, you say, God did that. <laughs> Peter could have done the same thing, but he, he didn't realize what was going on. The angel bumps him, gets him up out of, off the bed. He's supposed to die the next day. Picks him up by the hand, drags him out, walks past all the different layers of guards, walks out into the street. The gate just opens. And Peter's like, this is a fantastic dream. The last dream, the greatest dream ever. And he's like, this is a pretty boring dream. I'm just standing here in the middle of the road. What's next? Well, I'm not dreaming. This really happened. This is real. I probably shouldn't be standing here in front of the prison in the middle of the road. Exactly, I'm out. He could have walked through the gate. He could, have looked, he could have turned around and looked at the gate and said, God did that. I'm wondering what would happen today. If you'll stand with me, I'm moving towards a close. I wonder what would happen today if you had in your heart a determination. I'm going to praise God. 
no matter where I am, no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to worship Him because it's more than just illustrated to us in history. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His power hasn't changed. His authority in our lives is just as strong today as it has ever been. In fact, today, if you'll begin to praise Him, you can have as much experience and as power of God as David, the leper, Paul, and Silas. Your prayer can move mountains. Your praise can shake the earth. Your faith-filled praise can turn bad reports into good reports. Are you with me this morning? Your passionate praise can break loose chains of fear, anxiety, depression, unbelief. I want to just share with you. I've been in those places. I've been in valleys low with a little strong cloud cover. I've been in places where the rays of sunlight didn't penetrate to where I was. And in those dark moments and in those dark times and in those dark places, it's easy to relinquish authority to the darkness because it seems like it's so encompassing. It's so oppressing upon you. But every time, every single time, I've been in a low place. And I've just said, you know what? I'm not going to stay here. I'm coming out of this. If I'll turn on some music or I'll remember a praise song and I'll begin to lift up my voice and I'll begin to lift up my hands, it may not sound pretty, but if I begin to praise Him, things change. God shows up. Deliverance comes. So today, this message is for you today. This message is for your heart today. This message is for your soul today. Don't leave in the, sh- in the same shackles and the same chains that you showed up with. Don't leave with the same bondage and the same hurt that you showed up with today. Leave liberated in the power of Jesus Christ today. You have a need, just worship Him. You need a, a Savior that can change your life, just begin to praise Him. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.